Evening guys, welcome to another Wednesday midweek study. Um, today we're going to be in John chapter 5 again. Uh, we're going to be continuing from where we left, left off last time. Um, but before we go in, I'll just pray. Father, I just pray that you'd be with us uh, this evening as we go through your word. That you'd uh, speak to each and every one of us. That you speak to us uh, individually about certain things that you want to draw out. Um, that your Holy Spirit would just speak to us. Um, I pray that you'd show us uh, things through the main message, just uh, how you want to work in our lives and how you want to transform us to make us uh, more and more into the men and the women that you want us to be. And uh, Father, I just pray that you'd speak through me tonight, that you'd give me the words to speak, that you'd um, give me the words to say things that I may not have planned on saying, and that you'd uh, hold me back from saying things that uh, I may have planned on saying but uh, you don't want me to say. So, uh, Father, I just pray that you'd be with us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Cool. So, uh, we are in verse 9, and we're going to quickly go through verse 9 again, and then we'll continue. But as a quick recap, because we're starting off with instantly, so I think it's important that we know exactly what happened beforehand. Um, so, basically, last week, Jesus traveled to Jerusalem, and he went to the pool of Bethesda, and he met a man that he'd been paralyzed for 38 years. And um, so, one, we spoke about uh, how in this healing of this man, how we want to make sure that Jesus is our first place to run to when we're facing problems. And how when we run to him, we want to make sure that we're seeking his way, as opposed to our own way, because our own way sometimes isn't actually what the Lord has planned for us. Um, and then in that, in him showing us his way, we then want to be obedient to that. Even if it seems like the most unlikely scenario, we want to actually be obedient to what he's called us to do because he's going to give us the strength to do whatever he's calling us to do. Um, so starting off in verse 9, it says, Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The Lord doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. And now, a miracle's just happened. And these guys clearly are in it for themselves. And so they're like, Hang on a minute. This man's just been healed. We know this man's been crippled for 38 years. But the more important thing is, not that this man's suddenly been healed by some amazing miracle, but this man's working on the Sabbath. And so this is clearly what they're concerned about, which clearly shows you where their heart is. And this is a miracle, but for them, it's still the Sabbath. And so they're objecting to this. Now, the problem is, it wasn't actually unlawful according to the law of Moses, according to the Torah. What they're going by is by the Mishnah, which is the Jewish commentary on the law, which, interestingly enough, on the Sabbath day they had... 23 chapters, or they still have, 23 chapters just dedicated to the commentary on the Sabbath day. So it actually ended up making, with all these extra rules that they'd made by this point, the Sabbath day had just become a burden. It wasn't what the Lord had intended, to, had intended it to be. It was now something that they'd added their own rules to on top of God's law, that, which was there and which was steadfast and which was there for them to keep. They decided to put their own things on and add to it 
And so now it had become a burden for people. And so, you know, it started to become uh, silly things like you couldn't carry a needle in your pocket and certain things like that, which we wouldn't really think of as work, but those things had been added in as just these extra things that people needed to keep to. And the problem was that this commandment, which was given by God for people, had then been made into this heavy burden. In Matthew 12, verse 9 to 12, it says, Then Jesus went over to the synagogue, where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, Does the law, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes, so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, If you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Now, I just love how Jesus answers stuff sometimes where they're expecting like a, yeah, he's going to say this or this and he's going to be trapped either way. But then Jesus just responds with this answer that's completely beyond them, which answers their question and goes even deeper and just cuts to the root of the issue, which Jesus is just fantastic at doing. And so Jesus declares that the Sabbath is not to stop us from doing good. It's there to actually allow us to be able to do what's right. And in Mark 2 verses 23 to 27, uh, Jesus addresses this again another time. It says, One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And so Jesus very plainly points out the Sabbath is meant to be a time of rest because we need rest. We don't just work eternally for all of time. We just, he's put in place to say, hey, you need rest. You cannot just work and work and work. You need time to be able to actually take time out to rest and so that then you can continue working. And it's good for us. It's not some arbitrary law that he just threw in there. It's thrown in there for our good. And so it is meant to lighten burdens rather than to be a burden in itself. And it's so easy for us to make burdens of good practices that the Lord's given us. And this was a good thing that the Lord had given, and it had been made into a burden for the people. And we can make traditions of things and ruin the relational meaning behind a lot of things. Like, for instance, prayer. Prayer is something that we want to make a good practice of, but we don't want it to lose its meaning. We don't want to sit there and just reel through some thing that we know by rote and then end as if it means nothing to us, to just reel off a list or to say words without really any meaning behind them. We want to actually have a true conversation with the Lord, to sit and to pour out our heart to Him, knowing that He's on the other end listening to us. It's not just saying things to say them. And when we read the word, it's good practice to actually make a good habit of it. But 
we don't want it to just become some tick box exercise. So, you know, we just get up. Yeah, we read this bit. Okay, done. Move on. But we actually sit and we meditate on it. We sit and we say, okay, what's the Lord saying in that? Like, what's he saying to me? How, what can I get out of this as I'm reading this? And to actually have it because it's part of the relationship of getting to know the Lord as he desires to have that relationship with us. We want to actually put our time into spending time investing in that relationship with him. When we're speaking to him, like you think, how often do you meet a friend and you know, you arrange to meet them for coffee? You go and you sit down, you haven't spoken to each other yet, you've kind of just said hi. You sit down for a coffee and you just blurt out everything to them. And once you've done with your spiel, you pick up your coffee and you walk out of the coffee shop. Your friend is going to be like, okay, what just happened there? But a lot of the time, that's what we do with the Lord when we come to him in prayer. We kind of just say this thing and then walk off as if we're done, like the relationship means nothing to us. But really, we actually, when we spend time with friends, we invest in that. We sit and we say, okay, well, what do you have to say? I want to listen as well as to actually have you listen to me. I want to sit there and listen to you to see what you have to say. And we, when, we spend, when we spend time with the Lord, that's what we want to do as well. We want to sit and we want to invest in that relationship. Spending time with Him, speaking to Him, sharing our heart with Him, and then allowing Him the opportunity to speak to us. To say, okay, Lord, please show me this, or can you just teach me or help me or whatever, to actually invite him in to actually work in our lives and to speak to us. And when we read his word, we want to actually invest in that relationship through reading his word. When a friend writes us a letter, we don't just simply pick up the letter, read through it and go, okay, done, and throw it in the bin. We actually sit and we pour over what that person's meant when they're writing certain things. We, we say, oh, wow, cool, I didn't realize this. Or, oh, okay, cool, they wanted to tell me this. And we sit and we take in what they've said and the meaning behind those words. And when we read the word, that's what we want to do as well. When the Lord's put certain things down for us, it's not just for the specific instance that he's mentioned in the word. We can often take those things for us as well to say, okay, cool. I want to make sure that I'm applying that to my life, just as I see this person's applied that to their lives as well. Um, to sit and to spend time in it, to say, okay, Lord, please speak to me as I see that you've spoken to these people, as I've seen you've moved in their lives, I want you to move in my life just the same. And so we invest in a relationship, not just this list of rules, because his laws have a meaning behind them, because he loves us and so he wants things there to say, okay, this is good for you. And so though we're no, we're no longer under the law, as we read in Romans, we need to recognize that God actually still mentions certain things for our good. For instance, like the Sabbath was made because we need rest. It's important to still take time to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to take time out. And instead of working 24 seven and getting like four hours of sleep a day, I want to make sure that I'm actually sitting and I'm taking time to rest so that I'm then an effective worker for the Lord. I'm not just pouring my life out and then letting it burn out before it's time. That I'm saying, okay, I want to be a good steward of the body that the Lord's given me. And so take rest when I need rest. And likewise, in spending time in prayer and reading the word, 
not just letting those things be a tick box exercise, but saying, you know what, I want to do this because I want to invest in my relationship with the Lord. Not just simply because I feel I have an obligation to, but to say, you know what, I want to do this because I love the Lord. So doing right out of love, not simply out of a tradition. And in verse 11, it says, But he replied, The man who healed me told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The, the man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. And here's the contrast between these two types of people. And those that see Jesus as this friend who acts in love, and those that see him as this unlawful teacher. And the Jewish leaders are more concerned with this rule breaker than the miracle worker. And we can see just Jesus as this miracle worker who saves us from our hopelessness. Or we can see Jesus as the teacher who rocked the boat and just taught some radical things. And one of those versions is a man who is also God, who with a love that is infinite, eternal and sacrificial. And the other is a man who breaks the rules and is a good teacher. And there's really nothing special when we just look at it like that. And the Jewish leaders saw him as a threat to their way of life, to their authority, and to their security, and many other things as well. And they thought they were right because of their many rules and how they kept them. And their hope really was in themselves. It wasn't in the God who saves. And they'd allowed tradition to outweigh their relationship. And that's where they were placing their trust, in their traditions, and in how, they, how well they kept them. And we can really do the same thing. Like, I think, so, I like to have a habit of when I get up in the morning, I'll sit and I'll just spend time with the Lord in prayer. But I remember one morning, um, I'm lying in bed, and uh, I'm still asleep by this point, and um, I get a call from someone, and they're like, hey, I really need you would be able to give me a hand with this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, that's cool. So I get up and I go, and as I'm heading off to them, um, I'm just praying about the situation that I'm going to help them with. And uh, I'm praying about a couple of other things as well. And I notice as I'm praying, I then start to rush my prayer in praying about some of the other things that I'll normally pray about in the morning. And I have to stop myself. And I'm like, no, 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 that isn't my posture isn't right in having that relationship with the Lord and saying, okay, Lord, there's meaning behind these words. It's actually really just this rushed prayer at that point, simply because I always do it at that point. And I was like, no, okay, hang on a minute. I need to focus on what the Lord's asked me to do right now, which is to help this person. I'm praying about those things and some of the things that the Lord's put on my heart at that point. But those other things, I don't want to rush because that's not how I want my prayer to be with the Lord. That's not how my relationship should be with the Lord. So those things I can pray about as I have the time to be able to pray about and as I make the time to pray about those things. Um, and so it's then saying, okay, I need to not let these things just be simply like a tradition or a ritual, but simply being part of that relationship to say, yes, I'm taking time out to make sure that I spend this time with the Lord in the mornings. And these are the things that I normally pray about. And right now, I don't want to rush those things. I want to actually take time to spend time in them when I can allow myself to spend time with them. But right now, the Lord's asked me to do something. So saying, okay, Lord, help me with the task that you set before me right now and with these things that you've put on my heart.
Um, so we can be concerned um, then with God and with our relationship with him. And we want to make sure that that's where our focus is and not in just simply what we say in our prayers and what we do for him. Not being concerned with those things primarily, but being concerned with the one who we speak to when we have those things, when we do those things. When we're actually investing in our relationship with the Lord, that's where we want our focus to be. And it's easy to tie, get tied up in what we do or what we say, but to instead say, actually, those habits of those things that are good... I want to do them out of love, not just simply out of tradition. So those things need to have a meaning behind them. When I say certain things, they need to have a meaning behind them, not just simply because they're always said. And when I do things, I want to do them because there's a meaning behind them, because there's love behind them, not just simply because, yeah, yeah, I always do this, or yeah, yeah, I should do this. But to say, actually, I want my heart to be right in doing these things as well. And so... Then, in having that posture right before the Lord, my hope is in Jesus, not in fulfilling certain tasks or certain traditions, certain things that I've set before me. And doing good doesn't make me any more or less of a Christian, any more or less saved even. But it does, however, make me a healthier Christian in doing certain things, in praying and reading the word and having that fellowship. It makes me a healthier Christian or and more of an unhealthy Christian if I'm not doing those things. Simply, just like eating well, doesn't make me any more or less of a human. I'm human because of my birth, because of how I've been born. Eating well simply makes me either a healthier or an unhealthy human being. And so it is the way with prayer, with the word, and with fellowship. I'm still a Christian, I'm still saved, but I'm that because of my new birth in Christ, because I've trusted upon the finished work of the cross. It simply affects how healthy I am as a Christian. It simply affects whether I have the strength to be able to fight the battles that are set before me. It means I can walk closer to him when I'm spending time with him. When I'm spending time with him, when I'm spending time in the word, when I'm really getting to know him, that's when I'm able to fight the battles that he sets before me. Because he's going to lead and he's going to guide and I'm going to be attentive to hear his voice to say, okay, Lord, this is what you're asking me to do, or this is where you're calling me, or this is how I need to fight this certain, certain battle. And like in Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 18, when we put on the armor of God, we want to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, not in our own, not in what we think we can do. And that's why it's good to make a practice of what the Lord calls us to do, like being in prayer, being in the word, being in fellowship. It's those things that we say, this is good, and this is actually healthier for me to be making a practice of. And so putting on the belt of truth, on the putting on the body armor of God's righteousness, putting on those shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, is having that confidence in him, not in anything of ourselves. Saying, actually, I make these things a habit because I know that without these things, I'm much weaker without them. And so I'm doing what's right because I know that it's better for me not just simply because I think that it makes it right, because I know that it doesn't. I know that I'm made right through Christ, not through anything that I might be able to do. And so verse 14, it says, But afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. And so Jesus found him in the temple. 
after Jesus had gone away from the multitude. And as I'm sure, you know, at the pool of Bethesda, when he healed that man, I'm sure there were plenty of other people there who were like, hang on a minute, this guy can heal people? Maybe he can heal me. And so Jesus disappears because he was like, okay, this is where I'm called. This is the man that I've been asked to heal. And so he heals him and he leaves. And then he comes back and he meets with this guy and he tells him this now. And so he reminds him that he's been made well, but it's not an excuse to just simply do whatever he wants to do, to just simply live however he wants to live. He's been made, made well to live a life that honors the one who's healed him. This man wasn't healed so that he could live a life of sin. He was healed as a testament to the glory of God. And he was free to do either way. He was free to either go on sinning and doing his own thing or to live for God. He could live a life that dishonored the one who healed him by living for pleasure and for sin. Or he could live a life that honored the one who healed him by turning from his sin and living for Jesus, testifying of his great works, of his authority, and the fact that he is the Messiah. And Christ died and he gave his life and paid the debt of sin. And when we then trust upon the finished work of the cross, we're set free. And so we can either honor that and we can say, okay, I want to live for you. I want to testify of your great works and I want to live my life and giving it all as that living sacrifice and saying, okay, I am wholly yours. Just show me what you want me to do, where you want me to go. Or we can take that and just decide we still want to live for ourselves and so dishonor the son who set us free and reap the consequences of choosing sin over the one who's paid that debt of sin, who then offers us salvation. And this man knew the alternative. He knew that choosing to reject the savior and live a life of sin meant that his previous element would really be incomparable to an eternity without Jesus. And so he could choose to live in light of the consequences of either rejecting Jesus or accepting Jesus. This man then couldn't really help himself, as you see, and he went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. And now he couldn't help but testify that it was Jesus who had healed him. And you notice that it's like that it was Jesus who healed him. He didn't go and it wasn't like it's saying, yeah, he went and told them that it was Jesus who broke the law. It was like, it's Jesus who is the one who healed me, who set me free. He couldn't help but go and testify. And now we can either take this and say, oh, he went and told them because he was intimidated into telling them. Or we can take it and say, hey, he didn't even care about the fear behind it. He just said, hey, I found out exactly who healed me. And I've got to tell you who healed me because this guy is amazing. And then what we also have to think about is Jesus knew that he would go and do this. Jesus knew that it would bring trouble by healing this man on the Sabbath. And he knew that it would bring even further trouble by going and meeting with this man again and speaking to him. Because it then showed him, hang on a minute, this isn't just any man, this is Jesus. And so Jesus knew that it would bring trouble, but he still did what was right. He still did what he was called to do. And it's a reminder for us not to let fear stop us from doing what's right because we should be motivated by love, and it's a love that casts out all fear as we read in 1 John 4 verse 18. And it's obeying him, spending time with him, doing what is right out of a love for him, not being afraid of punishment, because he that is, in, he that is within us is greater than he that is in the world, as we also read in 1 John chapter 4. And so 
Who we see Jesus as then affects our walk and ultimately our eternity. We can either choose to reject him and so reap the consequences of the fact that this life is really the best that we'll have it. And entering into an eternity without Jesus is worse than anything that we could ever possibly imagine here on earth. But we can choose to see him as the king who has come, who has made us right, who has then set us and made us as sons and daughters of the king. And so we can see him as this loving king who has given his life for us. And so then out of his love for us, out of him giving his life for us, we're made right. And so then we say, hey, I love you. And out of a love, I want to be obedient. I want to do what is right, not just simply out of tradition, not simply because I feel that I have to do it in order to be made right, because I know that I don't have to do it in order to be made right. I know that if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed, that I'm already made right. And so then that motive is out of love completely. And so then the result of that is a healthier relationship with God, where we have that healthier relationship with him, where we're growing in him, when we're spending time in fellowship, when we're spending time with fellowship with believers, when we're spending time with him in prayer, when we're reading the word, really getting to know him. And then we're growing stronger so that we can fight the good fight that is set before us, that, so that we can actually continue on fighting for him and doing whatever he calls us to do. And uh, we'll end there and uh, we'll pick up in uh, verse 16 next week. Uh, I'll just pray. Father, I, I praise you and I thank you uh, for your words. I thank you uh, that you are mighty and that you are able to save. And uh, Father, I just praise you and I thank you uh, that uh, you've made us right, that there is nothing that we can do uh, to make us more right with you, that we are simply made right, that we are set free from the bondage of sin. And I pray that you'd help us to walk in that. Help us to uh, live lives that glorify you, that testify of you. Um, Father, I just pray that you'd be with us, that um, you'd help us to grow in love for you uh, every single day of our lives. I pray that you'd um, help us to remember your words as we read it. You'd help us to spend time with you in prayer, uh, to yearn after you, to uh, long after spending time with you in prayer, and uh, to hunger after your word. Uh, Father, that we would take delight in spending time with our brothers and sisters, um, that we would have a Christ-like love for them. Um, Father, that we would have a Christ-like love for those uh, that aren't our brothers and sisters, those that are in the world who uh, choose to reject you. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be uh, a light on a hill, that we would be uh, salt and light in the world, that we would be a testament for you, that we would glorify your name, I pray. In Jesus' name I ask. God bless you guys.